This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hello, this is the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, and I'm Brent Butterworth. I'm the editor of the Soundstage Solo headphone website. And I am Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access, which covers high-value audio and tips and tricks for beginners. And we are here to discuss the latest goings-on in the audio biz, audio technology, the latest reviews that have come out, the latest shows, everything you need to know I shouldn't say everything you need to know. Everything you probably want to know about. I think it's just everything we're interested in. <laughs> so. yeah, everything we everything we care about, which therefore yeah. you should care about. Well, what should we care about this week, Brent? Well, our, our first subject of great concern to us personally is um, the recent announcement that Ankyo, a storied. Japanese audio brand that's been around a lot longer than any of us um, has just filed for bankruptcy. And there's been a lot of uh, sort of ripples through the industry and a lot of discussion of, well, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean? Oh, my gosh. You know, are the are the barbarians at the gate? Um, Doom. Doom and gloom. It's always doom. So, but we're going to dispel, we're going to agree with some of that and also dispel some of that. And I don't know, sort of, uh, you know, do some, some wussy fence sitting um, and also have strong <laughs> opinions as well. We're going to span the whole gamut. So what, what, what else are we going to discuss, Dennis? Um, you know, Soundstage Australia had a neat little news story about our new speaker from KEF called the LS60 Wireless. Um I want to dig into that because I think this is a really cool and fascinating speaker. Also, uh, Darko Audio did a cool little short film about it. So I don't know. I want to talk about why I think that speaker is interesting and what I think is cool about it and how I think it sort of points toward the future of our hobby. Um, Okay. What else are we going to dig into? We are going to start scratching the surface. You know, this is uh, today is the last day of the Munich Hi-Fi show. I think it's called Munich High End. In 2022, and uh, most or much of the Soundstage team is there, including Edgar from uh, uh, Soundstage Australia, and and Doug, our founder, and Jeff, our editor in chief, are all there, and they're filing reports like crazy about all the new stuff at Munich. And so we are going to, we're hoping, you know, next episode to have some of those guys on and chat about, you know, firsthand about what they saw. But we are going to kind of cherry pick from some of the things that we saw, including a new speaker from SVS, a new speaker from Goldman, a new speaker from Monitor Audio, and mm-hmm. and we're going to kind of at least sort of pick away at what's interesting there to us, and then maybe we'll get a full in-depth report from one of those guys uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Let's start with this Onkyo thing, though, man. Okay. It's been a, been a bit of brouhaha about this because it was announced, I believe, last week that Onkyo Corporation has gone um, gone bankrupt. Yeah. And uh, I think there was a lot of um, wailing and gnashing of teeth about that just because, you know, Onkyo, like you said, is such a story brand. I, you know, there's sort of been a cornerstone of our industry for decades. I mean, as long as I've been into audio, Onkyo has been an a presence, an, a, an omnipresent force in our industry. And now they're going bankrupt and everybody's sort of, what does this mean? What's happening? So well, what are your thoughts about it, man? 
Oh, so I have to just I have to proclaim what it means. All right, so <laughs> yes, I, I have I have I can go really deep on this for a lot of different reasons because um, you know Ankyo was Ankyo. I, I'm going to say got big in the '70s, like a lot of the Japanese brands, mm-hmm. and it. You know, I've sort of watched them grow. I think they really, with the home theater thing, they really kind of became far more important because they were the one of the people that could figure out how to make a good receiver. But, you know, as we know, the home theater market has is not what it used to be. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to go a lot deeper on this, but I, I think that, you know, a lot of people are just assuming that, you know, Ankyo is, you know, bet everything on the home theater market. The home theater market has has is much, much smaller than it was. And so, therefore, goes, you know, there goes Onkyo because of the home, you know, following the fate of the home theater market. But it's actually deeper than that. And what yeah. do you think? Well, you know, I have, I have very complicated feelings because I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of nostalgia for Onkyo. Onkyo was my first AV receiver. Hmm. Um, and in fact, I think I bought an Onkyo based on something I read maybe that you wrote in home theater magazine back in the m- m- late mid nineties, you know? Wow. So, yeah. so yeah, they, 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 Onkyo was my, was my entry point into home theater, but man, you know, in, in, I guess I would say the past decade, <laughs> their star has fallen. In my opinion, there's, there's been a lot that they've done wrong. Um, and you know, it's, it's hard to, to know how much to blame on Onkyo in particular, but they introduced this really sort of lackluster proprietary room correction system called mm-hmm. AccuEQ, yeah. which, um, not as good as Odyssey and things like that. That is a, that's, that's one way of putting it. Uh, I would say it did far more harm than good, <laughs> you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Way great. more harm than good. And also, oh, you know, great. there were, there were several years there where, you know, if you bought an Onkyo AV receiver, you could pretty well bet that within a couple of years, the HDMI board was going to die. So, you know, they went through this phase where it's like, you know, we have this thing where there's a, there's a, there's a phenomenon called just get the X in our industry. And, um, you know, it's, it's when my, when my sort of normie friends come to me and they're like, Hey, I want to buy an AV receiver. I'm like, just get the Denon, you know? And once you get the, to the sort of just get the X part of, Mm -hmm. of, of, of something, you know, everybody else that is competing in the same space, you can kind of write them off. Now that, that, that is not to say that, you know, a Denon is better than an Anthem or better than a Rotel or something like that. But my normie friends coming to me, the people who shop at Best Buy, I'm not going to tell them to get one of those brands, you know? So it's either sort of the Onkyo or something from Sound United, the Denon, the Marantz, whatever. And we've gotten to the, just get the Denon phase of this. Um, yeah. And so where does that leave Onkyo? Now I will say this: in recent years, or like in last the last year, they made some big improvements. They adopted Dirac room correction, which is one of the best room correction mm-hmm. systems around. I think they've worked out the issues with their HDMI boards, but um, I don't know, man. It all seems a little too late. I think it's a little too late. I mean, another thing that that I haven't seen discussed in this is that that Ankyo. Once I got into consulting, you know, ten or twelve years ago. I I did not realize what a giant player Ankyo was in the the OEM business, you know, making audio products for other people. 
And I didn't realize this until I was consulting for a uh, TV company and they asked me to go, you know, I I was, I used to just go in there for like a day and charge them my day rate and kind of give them my opinion and guidance and stuff. And they said, Hey, we got a guy from Onkyo in here to demonstrate this sound bar. You want to go listen to it? And I was like, Ankyo makes sound bars, <laughs> and for for other people, I, I I didn't know that, and um, and I went and listened to it. It was a fantastic product. They made one glaring technical flaw, which I told them about, and they fixed, and it turned out to be a really good selling sound bar. And so they, I think that that business kind of helped carry them a lot, but that business has gotten a lot tougher because some of these competitors on the OEM side are so good at what they do. It used to be as a consultant, like I get these products in from these, these OEMs and they were kind of a mess. And I'd be sitting here going like, Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But it got to the point where people would send the, send me these products. It'd be kind of like, uh, this is great. Don't change anything. And, I think that they kind of lost the edge there and they found it tougher to compete and they're, and they're building all this stuff in the same, you know, uh, uh, Chinese factories that, that everybody else is at this point. So they kind of lost their edge with that. They lost, you know, the home theater market, you know, even though their receivers may have had some ups and downs, that market has, is not real strong. I mean, it's hard to even go buy those products anymore at a store unless you have a Magnolia nearby. So, it's it's just a it's a market that's kind of gone away and and with it Onkyo has kind of gone away but Onkyo hasn't gone away right what has happened to Onkyo well you know i think it was was it september of last year um vox and sharp announced that they had acquired the the assets of the audio video business of Onkyo so <laughs> basically the the Onkyo brand that we know, Onkyo receivers, um, things like that, existed separately from Onkyo as a corporation as of nearly a year ago. So I guess kind of really doesn't matter if Onkyo as a corporation is going away because Onkyo as a brand is now something separate, which will yeah. continue to exist. And, you know, like I said, they've recently gotten much better. And, you know, who, who knows? You know, Onkyo is dead. Long live Onkyo. It could be that they come back to be a major name in the industry. It just will not be connected to Onkyo as a corporation anymore. So, yeah, you know, the difference between being a major name in the industry and not is so often having, you know, a company that will throw you some money to develop products, a product manager who's really good at, you know, tracking the trends and figuring out cool stuff to do and an engineer who's in charge who can make sure that stuff sounds good. So they, they could have a giant, you know, Vox has a lot of good people there. So, uh, you know, Vox does, you know, clips and, and, uh, various other brands, Yamo, um, and they could come out with some pretty great stuff, uh, depending on what they decide to do with the brand. And, uh, you just never know. And I think people get too wrapped up in these brand names anyway, because as we were talking about Bose last time, it's like, yeah, the audiophiles are like, oh, Bose sucks. But <laughs> that judgment is based on products that existed 30 years ago, designed by people that are all either dead or retired. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what is, so, you know, what Onkyo yeah. means, I mean, the people that designed, I mean, look, when I was at Dolby 20 years ago, 
uh, Onkyo and Denon were the two companies that we would, if, if, if we had a new technology, those were the sort of mainstream receiver companies that we would go after first because we knew that they would adopt it. And, or, you know, we knew there was a good chance they would adopt it. And they had, and they were always pushing the edge on DSP horsepower. So we knew they'd have the MIPS to do it. And so that's millions of instructions per second. That's a, you know, a, a gauge of digital signal processing speed. And, mm-hmm. So we knew that both of those companies had the technical means to do it, and we both knew they wanted to be on the cutting edge, and they both were. And I think at the time, I used to tell people, yeah, go buy a Denon or an Onkyo. And not that Sony and Yamaha and some other people didn't make good receivers, but those were always the brands that were, seemed to be kind of a year ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, but, but none of those people work for Onkyo anymore, probably. Or no. one or two, maybe. And so... And now it's going to be done by by Vox, and what's it going to mean? Well, we don't know until they come out with some products. But Vox has people that can come out with good products. So yeah, yeah. one of the things that I have nostalgia for in terms of Ankia the most is a lot of the two channel stuff, especially the Integra stuff. So I'd like to see them introduce a new integrated amplifier. I, you know, I'd like to see them bringing yeah. out some stereo products because. I, I almost kind of think that's more relevant than than home theater right now, to I be agree. honest with you. you know, a, so. a, 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 a good integrated amp with a DAC built in, with mm-hmm. uh, with streaming built in, with um, you know, Bluetooth, obviously, and mm-hmm. all the latest features and maybe a couple of new features that some creative product manager would come up with. And, and a big VU meter on the front. That's you know what? <laughs> like, I really Never want hurts. that. Never yeah. hurts. So, you know, there, there are certainly things that can be done in that field. And you're right. That field is probably more important and lucrative right now. Um, there's a lot more interest in those products. And let's face it. I mean, home theater is just such a nightmare from a tech support standpoint. And, mm-hmm. You know, those products, people can plug them in and they work and you hook them up to a good set of speakers and you're happy. And, oh, oh and, you know, put an HDMI input on it so you can use it as a sound bar. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, just sort of all these basic sort of things and with a little more creative twist. Uh, I think they could come out with some nice stuff. And frankly, honestly, if I had to bet 50 bucks either way, I bet they probably do end up coming out with some nice stuff in a year or two. Well, by they, you mean Vox, not Vox know. under the Onkyo. <laughs> Vox will come out with stuff under the Onkyo brand that's pretty cool because I don't think they want to. I think they know that brand. Obviously, they know that brand has some cachet and they probably want to exploit that. And I don't think they have that on the electronic side. They have it certainly on the speaker side, but I don't think they have it on the electronic side. So mm-hmm. they're going to, um, you know, I'm optimistic about it. And like I said before, I mean, I, we're both old enough to have seen these brands change so many times, whether or not they've changed ownership or not, just the direction of the brand changes and the people involved with it change. And, you know, I, you just don't want to put too much stock in a brand. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> both, both in terms of, ex, of quality expectations Maybe in terms of low quality expectations, <laughs> maybe brands that maybe brands that really can't figure out how to make a speaker, for example, um, yeah, are not are, are ones that you can feel justified not expecting anything great from in the future. But but brands that were once great, you can't expect to be forever great. And once they start to suck, you can't expect them to suck forever. So right there you yeah. go. Yeah, let's take a break, man. You want to take let's a break? It. Let's take a break right now. 
and welcome back to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. And I'm Brent Butterworth. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about Kef's new wireless tower speaker, the LS60. Uh, I first became familiar with the speaker from a story on Soundstage Australia. Basically, what Kef has done is taken their, their popular LS50 wireless loudspeaker, which is a stand mount speaker, and developed a new tower speaker on um, the same platform. It's really, really cool. And uh, sort of wanted to dig into that. And also Darko Audio has got some pretty cool coverage on it. They're splitting their coverage into two videos. So there's a lot to chew on here. Um, so, what's you know, so what's so special? I mean, it's a speaker. It is an active speaker. It's a wireless speaker. It supports basically every sort of wireless format known to man and Wookiee. Uh, it supports DSD. It also supports MQA, but we're not going to hold that against it. Um, also, a really cool thing is it's got HDMI eARC. So you basically just connect a pair of these to, uh, you know, a new smart TV, and you, you've pretty much got a complete AV system. Oh, cool. Comes in some really, really cool colors. Um, the story on Soundstage Australia, they show the three finishes for this thing. You've, um, you've got a titanium gray that looks pretty cool. You've got a mineral white that looks really really nice but my favorite is this royal blue which is sort of a superman blue mm -hmm. um and it's just good golly man i wish i could own a pair of speakers that look like that do they but, not um, sell this thing in black uh, no they do not how huh. cool is that i mean you know the the titanium gray is kind of blackish i guess but no nothing in just pure black oh they will which, they will they'll get demands for it you think so yeah. Um, oh, by the way, we should say this thing uh, in the Soundstage Australia story. They list the price as uh, ninety nine ninety five Australian. I think it's like seven thousand dollars in the U.S. Okay, so it's not crazy, especially no, since it's, especially since this is an entire stereo system, and you don't need anything but a smartphone to get this thing working. Correct. You've got tons of digital inputs. You've got like coaxial. You've got optical. You've got wireless. You've got Bluetooth. You've got line level analog inputs. Like I said, you've got the HDMI. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a completely self-contained sound system. Although I don't want to bring something up there. Mm -hmm. There has been, I forgot to mention this to you. There's been a little, a little bit of controversy lately <laughs> because um, I, a reader or a listener, I guess you would say, email me and sort of pointed out uh, some seeming inconsistency where episode before last, mm -hmm. we were talking about active loudspeakers and I'm like, yeah, man, this is the future of audio. I'm all for it. And then last episode, we're talking about product updates and firmware and you're like, yeah, that's why I tell people not to buy active loudspeakers. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I don't if tell people, people are not to buy them. I just tell but, people consider these things. Yeah. You know, it's um, people might not have realized this, but we are two different human beings with sometimes uh, very different opinions. So we're allowed to disagree. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm hardcore into these things, man. I, I think active speakers of this sort are absolutely the future and and they they have to become sort of, I think, the, the, the dominant force in our industry if our industry is going to have a future. 
So yeah. So what? But what? But acoustically, I mean, there's a lot of active speakers out there. What's special about these active speakers? Uh, well, I think probably the biggest thing is it's using the 12th generation UniQ driver. What's that? Uh, which is it's a it's a coaxial driver. Basically, it's it's um Kef's own coaxial driver where the tweeter is in the middle of the mid range, sort mm-hmm. of the acoustic center of the mid range. Um, and this one uses the metamaterial absorption technology, which I have to admit I I don't have any hands-on experience with Kef speakers that use the the new uh, MAT drivers, but we got an email recently from uh, an 87 year old listener named Clay Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, who sent sent us this wonderful email about the podcast and what it means to him and everything. And he was saying that he's got the new Kef LS fifties with the MAT um, drivers mm-hmm. and he had some really, really, really nice things to say about them. So I'm super excited to hear them, but I have not heard them as of yet, but they have that, they have the 12th generation UniQ driver front firing, and then they've got side firing, uh, what is it? A quartet of five and a quarter inch drivers, yeah, space per, drivers? per speaker. So it's eight per system. Per yeah. Eight per system. Yeah. And the base drivers in the mid range are powered by separate class D amplifiers. And then the tweeter is powered by class AB amplifiers. Um, and also I wanted to point out the the video that that uh, John Darko did was just sort of an introduction to the speaker. Mm-hmm. He is breaking his video coverage into two parts, but mm-hmm. he was pointing out something really, really cool about them in that the, all of the electronics are sort of in the bottom third of the cabinet and they're completely acoustically isolated from the rest of the speaker. And this really, really cool ventilation system where what we would th- think might be some sort of port is actually an air intake. So it pulls air in from the bottom to cool the electronics. I thought that was pretty neat. That um, is pretty. That's different um, and good, I guess. If if the well, if they have a class A B amp on there that it needs some kind of airflow across it, but, yeah. But that's just for the tweeters, so it's probably not yeah. doing too much. Yeah, it's still but, doing you know, a little it's bit. Something. It's like you got to cool bit. it a little bit. You got to do something for the poor thing. I mean, it's yeah. in a sweat box. You can't expect people to to do. You know, Pilates in a in a sealed box, <laughs> and this is a sealed box. As far as we can tell, yeah. it's not ported. So, yeah. so we. You know, I, I want to. I, I think we should mention though, because we're talking so much about the UniQ driver, but we should talk about why that's special and where that comes from. Because mm-hmm. um, this has been a Kef hallmark for decades, and mm-hmm. the, so by by putting the tweeter inside the woofer, and it's not like this is this isn't like one of those old Jensen coaxial speakers where the tweeter was inside the woofer cone, but you know, like like a like an inch out from the from the speaker itself, because those kind right. of sucked because all the sound waves coming off the woofer could bounce off that tweeter and reflect all within there, and and that, those things have really ragged frequency response, and. So with this, the, the tweeter and the woofer basically share acoustic centers. And the big advantage of that is that, you know, with a normal, uh, you know, two-way speaker, you know, you have a woofer and a tweeter, and they're some distance apart. So depending on where your ears are vertically, um, your ears can be closer to one driver than the other. And at the crossover frequency, and let's say that's 2.5 kilohertz or something, um, Sound comes out of both of those drivers. It doesn't. It's not like a 2.5 kilohertz. All of a sudden, the woofer stops and the tweeter picks up. So they're yeah. both putting out sound. And so in, in that within that octave or so, 
you know, centered around the crossover frequency, you're going to have, if your ears are closer to one speaker than the other, the sound waves are not going to be in phase. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to interfere with each other and you can get some kind of nasty effects, especially, and that's where if you're listening to like a speaker with a first order crossover, um, like a, some of the smaller Vandersteins or something like that, if you move your head up and down, you'll hear the sound of the speaker change. Mm-hmm. And that's the sound of the drivers interfering with each other. With this, the drivers don't interfere with each other. So I've, I've measured that, you know, the predecessor to this was the LS50 wireless. And then the predecessor to that was the LS50 passive speaker. And I've measured those. And you can take a measurement mic and you move it off to at 30 degrees, let's say. And no matter which it's, it's going to measure differently from on axis at zero, but at 30, you can put the mic above the speaker, below it, or to, to either side, and the 30-degree measurement is going to be the same. Mm, so that yeah. makes these speakers a lot less fussy about positioning. And now I think the downside of it is that you're basically your tweeter is inside a, what's, what's effectively a waveguide. That's mm-hmm. ca- ca- that's created by the woofer, and that will change the sound, and they have to kind of engineer their way around that. Um, but you know, the the LS50 was one of the most widely, you know, widely and highly regarded speakers of the last ten years or so, and so this is carrying on. This is basically an LS50 with more bass. Yeah. And seemingly more connectivity. Did the LS50 wireless have this much connectivity? Did it have the HDMI? I don't know. I haven't reviewed that I one, so. don't know because I did not get to review that, sadly. I, I think I reviewed the LS50s. I know I measured them. I think I reviewed them. I'm pulling up the LS50 Wireless 2 now. I'm going to look at the specs because, mm-hmm. let's see, it's got AirPlay 2, Chromecast, Rune Ready, a universal plug-and-play, Bluetooth. Uh, it's got all of the services. I don't know if it's – does it – no, it does have HDMI eARC. Never mind. Okay. Disregard everything I just said. <laughs> so basically, okay. yeah, it is the LS50 uh, Wireless 2 in a tower form. So I think the, the bottom line is this is going to be one of the most important speakers introduced this year. And also for the audio industry, this is a big deal because this is a, a step-up speaker. It's a, what did you say, $7,000 US? $7,000 per <clears> pair, <throat> yeah. And so it looks really cool and... You don't need a big fancy system and kind of anybody can work it off of their phone depending on how they want to stream to it or whatever. And so people can just go buy this for 7000 bucks. It looks super cool. It sounds amazing. Um, and they don't have to start reading audiophile publications and become members of the DAC of the Month Club. So, yeah. <laughs> in fact, you can't become a member of the DAC of the Month Club because this has a DAC built in. And... It's going to, and let's face it, it's got analog inputs, but it's going to digitize those analog inputs. It absolutely does. So there's no point in plugging a high-end DAC into this thing. Um, So you kind of get away from all that and you're just, all you, you know, you spend 7,000 bucks and you get something that looks cool and sounds good. I assume it sounds good. So, and the mm-hmm. the six dB down point is twenty six hertz. Three dB down point is thirty one hertz. So, kind of like you don't even really need a subwoofer no. with these things. Certainly not for music. Uh, not for music. Not for, for sure. music. Yeah. 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 Wow. I have to say, I agree with you. This is one of the most exciting loudspeakers of the year so far for me, and I think it's probably going to end up being one of the most exciting by the end of the year. It's just unfortunate that it's so far out of the price range that I cover because I'd love to hear them. So. Yeah, you know, the only downside for me here is I would love to see a CTA 2010 base output measurement on these things mm-hmm. to see exactly what 
capacity they have as far as, you know, base extension and base output. And sadly, I don't think anybody's going to, I mean, Soundstage will get a minute measurement in, in the, the National uh, Resource Council in Ottawa, but uh, I'd like, you know, they'll do the frequency response and they'll do a first rate job on that as usual, but I'd like to see base output measurements on these things just mm. to see, because that's a big deal, you know, it's like if you buy these, you don't want to have to buy a sub, but it'd be nice to know if you really need to hook up a sub. I'm assuming you probably don't, you know, eight, five and a, a quarter inch woofers is, you know, kind of a lot of power and these are in big cabinets, so they can probably do a lot. Yeah. But still... The world needs more CTA 2010 subwoofer output measurements. <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to find out more about CTA 2010, just Google CTA-2010 Brent Butterworth, and you'll find out everything you need to know, and probably probably including a couple of people on some forums that say I'm an idiot. And then you need to know that, too. All right, man. Well, let's take a break and then dig into Hein Munich. Okay, cool. And we're back with the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Brent Butterworth. And I am Dennis Berger. And we are going to wrap up by just sort of scratching the surface of the Munich High End Show, which is going on, uh, wrapping up right now as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. It's the most important audio show in the world, or has become that, and uh, we're sad that we're not there. But fortunately, Soundstage has four correspondence there uh working their butts off and really just cranking out a ton of articles and so dennis and i are going to lazily pick out (laughs) a few a few of the things that interested us and with any luck we'll be able to get at least one of the people who actually went to the show on the podcast with us the next time to talk about their impressions of it so uh dennis what was it that that really sort of stood out. What's the first thing that really stood out for you in, in all the new products that came out at Munich? Oh man, it's gotta be this big monitor audio concept 50, you know, monitor audio is quickly becoming one of my favorite speaker brands in the world. And so I clicked on this link as soon as, as it was published, just because, Oh, you know, Hey, new monitor speaker, but it's this crazy concept speaker that looks uh, quite unlike anything. <laughs> well, it looks quite unlike anything. Um, it's it's a really neat. It's it's using an AMT driver surrounded by uh, smaller mid range drivers, mm-hmm. and then it's got two. And that that array sort of joins together two separate cabinets that house base drivers that are firing directly toward each other in sort of a, a, a vibration canceling array. It's really funky looking, man. And it's, it's, they're offering it in these weird finishes. Mind you, I should say, this is not a finished product yet. They're, they're saying it's oh. probably not going to be a product until the end of this year. So it's true to its name as a concept, man, this thing is just so funky looking and cool that I am here for it. Um, it is a really unusual design. It, you know, it reminds me of the Petronas Towers in Kuala Lumpur because it's, oh, it's yeah. like sort of like two towers that it's like two tower speakers that come up and are connected by a bridge. And the bridge has the, the tower speakers have the woofers and the bridge has the mid range and tweeter. 
what fascinates me about the speaker, though, is the mid-range array. It's got six six mid-range drivers, which look like they're about two inches across, surrounding mm-hmm. this AMT tweeter. And as a speaker measurement guy, uh, you know, I'm always scared when people do things like this because mm-hmm. the more the more drivers you have, the more chances you have for interference between those drivers. However, and I don't know how they did these i don't know if these uh, i don't did, did, did somebody say if these drivers are running in parallel or not looking at the coverage it doesn't uh, they didn't say anything about that yeah so i don't if the drivers are all running in parallel then the, then the drivers can interfere with each other however there's so many of them and maybe the interference patterns are so randomized at that point that, there's six of them. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that it doesn't, you know, two things interfering with each other are going to produce some serious notches, but six things all talking to each other at once are going to be, It's I guess it's sort of like a conversation where you have six people talking at once. It just becomes a bunch of flat pink noise sort of. <laughs> but, yeah. But anyway, so maybe that works. Or maybe also they, you know, they took the two in the center and they filtered those differently than they did the ones at the sides. I don't know, but I'll be curious to see somebody. I'm glad I'm not the guy who's going to have to measure this because it's pretty heavy looking. Mm. And um, do they say how much it weighs? No, it doesn't, but it's pretty big. And yeah, um, beefy. I wouldn't want to have to try to put this up on a stand. Um, but it's gotten a lot of good press so far, including from Soundstage, and I think that it's it's interesting. It's certainly – I'm not sure I love the look of it. It's a little too oh, weird for me, and I kind of like the old – you know, I, I I got into this hobby from reading Stereo Review back in the days when, when Stereo Review covered almost exclusively wood panel speakers, and the only people that read Stereo Review were like dudes who smoked pipes and listened to <laughs> classical music or Dave Brubeck, right? And I still have this romantic image of that's what hi-fi is all about. And I don't have a pipe. I occasionally smoke cigars, but I, I don't – I just sort of still see that image of that's what hi-fi really is. And so I see these speakers, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a that's a weird alien that, you know, that's like people from another or, you know, beings from another planet kind of came down and like they're like, oh, well, this is our speaker. So. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you about something. Yeah. Um, I, there's, there's one thing I that, that I was sort of hoping that you could speak to and educate me on. Effectively, it looks to me uh, and in, in my ignorance of speaker design as if they've almost as if they have mostly taken the baffle out of the equation. Could you sort of speak to that and talk about how you think that might affect the sound? Uh, they're very, very minimal baffle to deal with here yeah. because of the design. Well, so so one of my one of the things that I've learned about speaker design, one of my rules um, is don't put a bunch of junk in front of your drivers. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it sound, you know, that that means around the edges and things like that. Sound just bounces off of them and diffracts and interferes with the original sound. And you know, there are ways to mitigate the problems there. But basically, it's just always better to have your drivers as free breathing as possible. So these have a grill in front of them, and it's it's pretty obviously a non-removable perforated metal grill. But the drivers are kind of pushed out front. The drivers are about it looks like they are about sort of four to six inches out in front of the towers. And mm-hmm. so, and, and they're in this little array and then there's the, the, the speaker slopes back from it. So you're still going to get some diffraction off of the edge of that, the baffle that these things are mounted on. But this baffle looks like it's about a foot high 
and about six inches wide, and it's all angled and everything. So you're not going to get the sort of diffraction problems you'd have with an old-fashioned rectangular speaker where the there's really consistent diffraction off of all the edges. So this is going to have, because it's rounded edges and it kind of slopes back, it's going to have really minimal diffraction. And, and that means you're going to have a big open sound because mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like, you know, the ideal in audio is one thing that's often cited as an ideal in audio is a point source is that, that sounds should appear to be coming from an infinitesimally small point in space, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they do, then you don't have any interference problems between drivers. You don't have anything coloring the sound. All you have is just the driver out there. And so this is an attempt to do something more like that. Um, it's complicated. There's a lot of drivers in this thing. It's a big, complicated uh, enclosure that's got to cost a lot of money to manufacture. So, I, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to proclaim anything. But, you know, I mean, we're talking about brands are not as important as you might think. But, you know, I, I I've heard a lot of monitor audio speakers over the last thirty years, and and I'd say probably ninety something percent of them were really really good. So I have some faith in them. Yeah, the new seventh generation silver stuff is just mind-blowing for the price. And it's not just mind-blowing in terms of performance. It's also just like, how are you making speakers this affordable that are that have this level of fit and finish? Yeah. And, and it, you know, oh, God, just, oh, it broke my heart to send those speakers Well, also, I have to say, this is the first... This is the first design I can remember from Monitor that's not, you know, normally they have a tower speaker or a bookshelf speaker, and it's got a woofer and a tweeter, or a woofer and a mid-range and a tweeter, or a woofer and a mid-range, or a few woofers and a mid-range and a tweeter. You know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they've been very conservative in their designs, and this is the first thing I can remember seeing from them, at least in a long while, that was a, a much more aggressive uh, uh, risk-taking design. Mm-hmm. Edgar uh, Kramer, who mm-hmm. the, the editor-in-chief of Soundstage Australia, was the one who did the coverage on these. And he does make a point of saying, like, they're still tweaking the design of this. This is not a, like I said, this is yeah. not a finished product yet. And it's not just one of those things where they're bringing out a prototype and then they're going to put a name on it and release it once they see what the reaction is. They're, they're still working on it. So yeah. probably a lot of the details that we're asking about, they're not saying because it might change. But, um, so we, but yeah. We should talk about, uh, there's a, a speaker that really interested me in this was from a company called Goldman, which is not super well-known in the U.S. And uh, I happen to think Goldman makes some of the best speakers that you can buy. They're super expensive. They're definitely made for the luxury market. They don't really even, they don't cater really so much to audio enthusiasts. It's more to people that, yeah, it's classic luxury market stuff. People who want something really good and, and, are, and are happy to spend whatever it, they have to spend. And um, mm-hmm. so they have a new speaker called the Gaia, G-A-I-A, which I don't know, is that like some former world like Pangea or something like that? Or Well, Gaia's a name for the earth. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so it's earth. Okay, great. Good. Now I know. I'm not that erudite on these things. Um, I spent my <laughs> life trying to figure out how speakers work and, and then trying to figure out how to play bass. So, um, so uh, these are big, giant, floor-standing speakers, and um, they are, I would guess they are about seven feet tall. And Goldman, all the stuff is made in, in Switzerland, and they make their speakers out of big, thick slabs of aluminum that are braced internally with big steel rods. <laughs> and, 
So the cabinet, so you're not hearing the cabinet. The cabinet is very non-resonant. And unlike a lot of high-end audio companies, they are heavily reliant on uh, DSP. I think all their speakers are fully active. I don't think they have a passive crossover in anything they make. And they were, Mm -hmm. and they were doing this like 20 years ago. They've been very aggressive about that and very, they aggressively adopt new technology. So these things are, but you look at these things and they look, they don't look like speakers. They look like buildings and yeah. they have a whole lot of, of separate enclosures for all of the different drivers. I, re, I was lucky enough to review their, this, the older system that predated this one. And it's a bunch of, it's like a bunch of separate speakers all in aluminum enclosures that fit into this rack and, Every driver gets its own amplifier, and I mean its own separate Goldman amplifier. So, it's, so you have this giant stack of amplifiers next to your giant speakers, and and they have a you know they basically had a I think it was about a sixteen channel preamp stereo preamp. <laughs> that, wow! That, but it was sixteen channels output, so you could basically you know so all the, the within the preamp they had the dsp custom dsp crossovers and they could also do room correction and phase correction and they would send the different signals out to all these different drivers and so even these even though these drivers were pretty well spaced out and in separate enclosures they integrated perfectly and mm-hmm. so this is a a new version of it, but it was still a weird looking speaker and this looks like a, a piece of architecture they are um What's in these things? And these are 508,000 Swiss francs per pair. And I yeah. don't know how many Swiss francs are in a dollar, but I assume it's, you know, uh, this is still quite, a, this is a lot of money. Because they, they don't. I'm going to Google real quick. So 508,000 okay. Swiss francs would be 521,000 US dollars. Okay, so this is this is actually actually not too big of a step up in price from the system I reviewed. Um, wow. and they're they're 838 pounds per side and and they actually in the soundstage coverage they showed uh, Dr. Veronique Adam who's the head of acoustics at Goldman and I've met so many speaker engineers and she's one of my favorites because she's really well versed in the sort of physical side of acoustics, but she also is really, really aggressive about adopting things like DSP. And and, and I met her once at CES uh, many, many years ago. I don't remember how many, but I haven't been to CES in many years. So, but um, one of the things that, that I really loved about talking to her is she, she did this thing that really, really, really super intelligent people do in that she f- did this thing where she was feeling me out to sort of gauge my level of understanding of what she was doing and then tailored the entire conversation to my level of understanding. Yeah. And that was, it was just a really, really neat conversation. So let's talk about, so I'm excited to hear these Goldman's. I don't know if I will, cause I don't think they have much of a U.S. presence at this point. And, uh, Maybe there'll be a European show I go to where they show them. But gosh, these things are 508. I mean, when they did them, when they did the predecessor version at my house, there were two big guy, big strong guys who came in and set up all these things. <laughs> and it took them wow. like it took them about six hours just to set up a stereo system. Um, boy, it sounded good though. Anyway, so let's. There's also an SVS speaker. I think that you wanted to discuss in here. Yes, there is. So in SVS has introduced the new Prime Wireless Pro powered speaker pair. Uh, apparently, that's the whole name. 
Um, so this is an upgraded version of the company's Prime Wireless speaker, which is a speaker that I love very much because it is at the heart of my desktop system. And in fact, the every episode of the Soundstage Audiophile podcast that I have mixed and mastered have been mixed and mastered on the SVS Prime Wireless mm-hmm. with uh, with an SB1000 subwoofer connected. And the reason I have the SB1000 subwoofer connected is because the old Prime Wireless didn't have a whole lot of bass. Um, yeah, that was my complaint with it. And apparently that's something they fixed with the Wireless Pro. Yeah, so it's got a five and a half or five and a quarter inch driver. They don't give the base extension here, but apparently it is designed to be, you know, larger speaker with more base extension. And maybe necessarily you wouldn't need a subwoofer to enjoy them. Yeah. That's pretty cool. They've also upgraded the connectivity. They've got HDMI input now, which, nice. you know, we talked about before. Really, yeah. really cool. So you could you could stick these things on either side of a smart TV or, you know, a TV with a Roku attached. And you've got a full sound system. Yeah. They've got um, Chromecast and AirPlay 2, which is really, really cool. And it looks like... Um, <laughs> oh boy we haven't we haven't really ticked anybody off in a few episodes so i'm going to say something that's going to make some people mad it looks okay. like they've ditched PlayFi, which i'm very Ooh. excited about because PlayFi sucks <laughs> that's a that's so, a strong statement dennis that's a very uh, strong statement you're not are you really honestly are you really considering the pros and cons of play <laughs> Fairly? I'm biting my t- I'm biting my tongue. I, it's not what I want to say. I want to say something much but worse. Surely but surely every anyway. technology has its ups and downs. Could you elaborate on some of the ups rather than just saying PlayFi sucks? Could you? Because you know we hear we get this from people who write in like you know you suck or this product sucks or something like that. It's like well make a case. You know if you want to say I suck, make a case. So you're saying PlayFi sucks. Make the case. Sh- tell me its pros and cons. Uh, well, let's just go with the the cons because there aren't a whole lot of pros. Okay. One, it's really really hard to sell. Wait, what, is, what, really wait, what does PlayFi do in the first place? Oh, PlayFi is a, is a wireless uh, protocol that is sort of an alternative to. Sonos and Chromecast and AirPlay okay. 2, things like that. So um, it's really hard to set up, really hard to get working with your network. Um, I, it seems to me that they have to update that thing every other day. Um, but uh, one of the biggest problems with it is is the, well, the last time I gave it any serious attention, was a, which was a few months ago, it still didn't support gapless playback, which to me is just a... That's a deal breaker. I'm sorry. If you can't do gapless in 2022, get out of my way. No, that's ridiculous. But yeah, when you when you combine the setup issues, the 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 reliability of your connection, the fact that it doesn't do gapless, I'm very, very happy to see SVS ditch it in favor of Chromecast and AirPlay 2. So. Yeah, you know, I gotta say, I I got I was contacted by a PR person who was doing early promotional materials for PlayFi, and they sent me a unit. This is, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. They sent me a unit, and I couldn't get it working. And I think maybe, I think there were two of them, and one of them I got working, and one of them I couldn't. I can't remember too long ago, but it had a lot of problems. And then you told me, I think I had like a Philips soundbar that had PlayFi that just came out um, mm-hmm. that I had to test, and you told me, Oh, PlayFi you know, sucks, basically. I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, well, come on. They've had 10 years to fix it. It's gotten a lot better, I'm sure. And I've been to PlayFi press events where they put on fantastic demos, and it really looks promising because they're doing things like multi-room surround sound and 
all this sort of stuff. And was, I was kind of thinking like, like, okay, Dennis is basing this on his impressions of, you know, from five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago. And he just, and it just was one product. Maybe it was one product. And I tried to hook this thing up and I spent an hour trying to get it to work and I got absolutely nowhere. And, you know, the, the app tended to get stuck in loops you know, yeah. <laughs> where, where it's like, and, you know, hey, give it to, you know, put in all this information and then we'll hook you up and you do it. <laughs> and it's like, OK, well, put in all this information and we'll hook you up and you do it again. And you're like, OK, and then you reload and you, you delete the app and you reload the app. And it's, it's just over and over. And then after an hour, as a professional reviewer, at some point, you have to pull the plug and say, look, I can't devote any more time to this product. And that's what happened. And it was a good soundbar, yeah. but it's like. Uh, no, you know what? If you want a soundbar that has Wi-Fi streaming, there, you know, get something with AirPlay or get Sonos or something like that. Don't don't fool with yeah. this. Life is too short. Yeah, yeah. It looks like they've added a screen to them as well, a little LED screen to make, you know, one of the few issues that I've had with the Prime Wireless. In addition to PlayFi mm-hmm. not, not being worth a damn, it's you know sometimes it's a, it's not always intuitive, like which of the buttons does volume control, which of them does uh, um, input selection. It looks like with this one, since it's bigger, they've got a little more room to do some clearer labeling and they've got a screen with push buttons. It overall just looks like a really, really cool upgrade Um, and not that expensive. It's like $6.99 a pair. I'm honestly considering just buying a pair of these things when they come out, just, just, you know, just to mix and sure. master the podcast on when I do it. And, you know, because it, it's, it's, this is sort of basically a smaller version of the Kef LS 60 that we were talking about, which is a much bigger mm-hmm. speaker, but it works the same way. It's like you buy the speakers and you connect your smartphone to them and you're kind of done. I mean, you can hook up other things if you want to, but you don't need to. Mm-hmm. And I think that that yeah. really has to appeal to a lot of people because unless you really want to dig in deep and, and again, become a member of the DAC of the month club and start messing around <laughs> with all this stuff and fussing around with cables and amplifiers and who knows what, um, yeah, you know, this is more for music lovers, for, for people that just want a good music system, and it's it's seven hundred bucks, you know. And yeah. and you know what? You can if you can work a smartphone, you can work this. So and and like I said with the original man, you add a sub, they sound amazing, yeah. like really, really, really great. And I think the I think the original is like, oh gosh, how much were they? I can't remember. Uh, I think they were uh, five hundred. I think four ninety nine. Maybe okay. maybe five ninety nine. So this isn't a huge price boost, but just just for the connectivity improvement alone, it's worth the money. Yeah. And the fact that and I'm looking I'm looking at their website now. They've got the original on sale for four hundred. So but but yeah, the MSRP was five ninety nine. So wait a minute, MSRP yeah it was a hundred dollars less. Okay. Um, so this is a big yeah. upgrade. And if it sounds if it has a fuller sound than the old one. Because the, the old one, I remember when I put it on, I was just really impressed with the treble and the mid-range. I just thought, like, God, they got these drivers beautifully integrated. This is a really well-engineered product. But it just, but when we did, like, you know, uh, uh, blind panel tests on it, you know, you, you can't win a blind panel test unless you got some bass. Right. Yeah. So... And by the time you've added a subwoofer, you've significantly increased the system price. So yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of unfair to include that. But yeah, I'm super excited about these. And I don't know if I'm going to get to review them, but I kind of don't care. I think I'm just going to buy a pair. Yeah. Um, and and I <laughs> I haven't actually 
like made my own hi-fi purchase in a long, long time. So that's, well, no, I take that back. I did buy this hi-fi DAC that I reviewed. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I haven't bought a pair of speakers in a long time, but I'm seriously thinking of just going to buy a pair of these because they look incredible. I haven't, so. I haven't bought a pair of, I mean, outside, well, my JBL monitors that I use for mixing, I bought those two, three years ago. But mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't bought a pair of speakers in a while, but I'm not going to be in a big hurry to do that because I'm, as, as you know, and a lot of people know, I'm in the process of moving and I don't know where I'm going to be living. And, uh, I don't know what kind of speakers I want for going forward. Yeah. I got, a, yeah. I got a couple kicking around. I got some triangle Borea BRO threes that are fantastic. Ooh. So I'll kick in with those and I'll see where it goes from there. Well, man, I'll tell you what, why don't we pick up the coverage of Munich next week? I'm hoping maybe we can talk our editorial overlord, Jeff, into joining that us. That would be so Maybe great. somebody else will be on board, too. But um, I don't know, man. You ready to wrap it up and do some credits? Let's wrap it up and let's do some credits. And let's start by saying that that uh, all, the, all the mixing and mastering and the good sound quality that you hear on this podcast, and that's not me saying that's what people tell us, that's a result of Dennis Berger's work at <laughs> doing that twiddling the knobs at least the on-screen knobs and messing around in reaper and doing everything he can and then i listen to it and i just say yep sounds good <laughs> well you know unless i end up in the hospital again and you have to do it which i i would suspect it'll sound even better so i um, doubt it especially since i'll be monitoring on whatever <laughs> headphones i have kicking around yeah we should say we're a production of the soundstage network which is a collection of nine microsites that cover uh, basically everything you could hope to read about in audio we've got super high insights we've got i run a budget site brent you run a headphone site we've got regional sites so uh anything you want to read about on audio go to soundstage.com there's going to be something there for you yeah and uh uh, we're going to have some music on this thing and Mm -hmm. uh which will be edited in by dennis but likely produced by me and maybe uh maybe my friend ron seiger as well Mm -hmm. um ever-evolving musical projects that we do. And uh, is there anything else that we need to credit? I don't think so, man. I think uh, I think this is. it's time for us to say adieu again. Let's say adieu. And we'll see you next Farewell. time. Was it our readers and good night? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, man. You hopped in the Wayback Machine for that one. Oh, great. Now you're going to make it harder to mix the music in, Brent. It'll be clashing. It'll be fantastic. It'll be like an Ornette Coleman thing. It'll be great. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.